HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. episode of Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. I'm here in the Hudson Valley, and I'm talking with, I'm talking with Gretel, who's in Ohio. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the show. Well, yeah, thank you so much for having me. How's, how's the weather out there? Um, well, we're finally getting some rain today, so that's great. It's been a really dry year so far, so we're happy to see the rain. And tell me what's growing around your farm, uh, well, what's on your farm, and then what's around your farm there in Ohio? Um, so in Ohio, we're surrounded by a lot of flat lands. We have um, clay soil here. And where our farm is, we're actually only about six miles from downtown Columbus, um, but we're on 10 acres, so it's our little piece of the country in the city. Um, And we're actually pretty lucky how our land is set up. There's sort of trees around the outside edge, so it creates a windbreak for us. And we've got decent drainage. Um, My husband, Steve, and I, we grow um, cut flowers, so we used to be about... 50-50 veggies and flowers, and um, this year the only vegetables we have planted are for our own garden, so we're going, you know, to 100% cut flower production. So you're a flower farm, and you're so close into your customers. Do you, do you, uh, did you make that decision because of being so close in, or just because you like flowers, or what's the, like, what's the rationale? Um, well, we actually um, apprenticed with a farmer who was a flower farmer, so that's kind of where it started. Um, the first year we worked on his farm and kind of went to market for him, and we fell in love with the farmer's markets and growing flowers. So our land um, was actually left to me in a trust 
Um, so when we inherited the land, we decided that we wanted to do our own farming thing. Um, and so, you know, we always say farming kind of found us. My degree is in psychology, and my husband Steve worked at a coffee shop, and that's where he met the farmer that we apprenticed with. Um, so the land that we are on was not a farm before. It was in my family, but it was just a big open field that was mowed. So, you know, it's taken us years to kind of set up the infrastructure of having a farm here. So, and what are your uh, what are your kind of most favorite flowers that you're growing, or what what distinguishes you uh, in the flower market, or even I mean, I'm familiar with the wonderful book, The Flower Farmer by Lynn, uh, what's her name, Brzezinski? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I work for a, a, a farm in California that did very, like, Alan Chadwick-style garden, so, like, kind of English country garden uh, mm-hmm. bouquets. But, but for those who aren't necessarily familiar with the kind of local flower market, like, could you just tell a little bit about what is different from you compared to, say, the roses from Ecuador that you see on every street corner? Yeah. So In we... Um, varieties. Yeah, we grow sunflowers and lilies and zinnias and cosmos. Um, you know, we do also some of the the more traditional forest flowers, like we grow lisianthus and hydrangeas and some of the things that you would see um, in flower shops. But, you know, the things that kind of set us apart are the things that maybe don't ship well um, that you would see coming from Ecuador. We don't do a lot of roses because there's a lot of competition, um, you know, from the flowers being imported. But more of the English sort of country garden style. Um, We specialize in mixed bouquets. So, you know, that lends us to having tons of different varieties of flowers here on the farm. I'd say probably about 75 different types of flowers that we grow. So our bouquets always look different through the season based on, you know, what's available and what we're harvesting that day. Um, But we do a lot of also, like, sunflower bunches and zinnia bunches at market, and also we sell to grocery stores um, and to florists, and I do weddings as well. Yeah, I have a bunch of friends who do weddings and say that's a really great compliment to doing a flower CSA or farmer's market. Another thing I've heard is uh, restaurant customers. Do you have any of those? Um, we do have a couple. We're actually working on building up um, some relationships with the restaurants around here. You know, you have to find the right restaurant that has sort of the budget to be able to spend on flowers. Um, And we're also, you know, Columbus is sort of up and coming with the local food movement and farm-to-table restaurants. Like, we're a little bit further behind from what maybe the coast would be. So um, we're getting there, and I think that, you know, local flowers will become a part of that conversation when the restaurants that are focused on farm-to-table realize that that's also part of part of what they're trying to accomplish, you know, is having the local flowers on the table to finish the whole environment being local. Um, so you say that you're, you work for another farmer and you apprentice, and then you, like, at the exact right time, it sounds like pretty good timing, inherited a piece of land right close in. Did you have to do any work negotiating uh, to keep it as a farm or do any, like, legal work 
on that front or have any kind of advice about that? You know, we were pretty lucky that, you know, everything was just kind of set up. We did, it takes, you know, three years of paperwork to prove that you're agricultural as far as, like, being zoned and, and having the tax um, change, the tax rate change being agricultural. Um, but as far as that goes, you know, we didn't really have to encounter any of that. Because we are on 10 acres, um, we weren't required to, like, get a permit to put up a greenhouse or build a lean-to on the back of the garage or anything like that. So as far as that goes, we've been pretty lucky. And so the three years that it takes to prove that you're agricultural, that means you have to be in business agriculturally for three years before they, your taxes go down? Yeah. And they actually, because we are um, in Franklin County, which is where Columbus is, um, they do come back and check every year to make sure that we're still um, doing agriculture just to make sure that we're uh, in the correct tax bracket <laughs> for the land. Man, that's very rigorous. Yeah. yeah. So do you do you do you have um, long term? You have planted obviously hydrangeas uh, are longer lasting. Are you investing in perennials and like I know a lot of people who've gone into lilacs in kind of a big mm -hmm. way. Um, are you yeah. in your longer term thinking or what's your kind of looking ahead beyond, uh, beyond this season? What is your kind of goals for the for the farm business? So right now we have flowers starting usually about Easter or Mother's Day through Thanksgiving. So we're hoping to heat a greenhouse. We're actually looking into running the gas line back to our greenhouse in the back to heat it through the winter because um, a lot of the florist holidays are not during the typical farm season. Um, so we want to target uh, growing flowers specifically for, you know, if we have flowers for Christmas or flowers for Valentine's Day. Um, so we're looking into doing that and also investing in perennials. So, you know, perennials are hard because it takes a while before they actually produce for you. Um, so we do have some of them planted, but I think our next big investment is going to be peonies. So peonies. we're looking into planting about 100 or, or so peonies, yeah. Oh, I'm a huge dahlia fan. Do you have any dahlias? Yeah, we have a ton of dahlias. This year, um, we have about 2,000 dahlias planted, all different colors and varieties. They're really big right now with weddings and with florists, and they're a great seasonal crop, and they don't ship well. So there's a, a good market for dahlias. Interesting. Uh, I heard a lot of – I talked to this peony grower who has been – we're working for a peony nursery in Connecticut, and they've just been doing peonies for like 150 years, and he's now starting to build a veggie CSA in their, like, back lot. So it's mm -hmm. kind of really funny to me um, that, you know, to see specialty producers moving into more diversification, and particularly, like, small family flower businesses also having a local food aspect. Um, and it made me feel really pretty positive about the way that they're looking at the local food economy very sensibly also. Um, mm -hmm. So peonies, you're saying, are 
uh, or your next thing, and dahlias are really hard to ship and therefore successful. Um, what are some other places that you went for guidance um, or resources that you used in getting started with your um, flower planning? Um, you went to the apprenticeship, but any memberships or conferences or books? Yeah, we are a part of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, so the ASCFG for short. Um, and it's a great community of growers. It's flower farmers all across the nation. Um, and when you are a member, there are regional meetings, so that usually includes farm tour, and that happens once a year, usually during the season. And then there's also a national conference that happens um, usually in November, because that's when most growers have time to get away. Um, and we do farm tours there, and that's where we learn about all the new, like, up-and-coming varieties of flowers. And you get to network with the other growers to talk about, you know, how they grow things. Um, and then a lot of the professors that are now writing books about specialty cut flowers are also a part of the association. So they give some presentations and... Um, there's a book called Specialty Cut Flowers um, written by Judy Lauschman, and she is the founder of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. So that's definitely a great resource for us, and we use that book sort of as a Bible. <laughs> so, But there's also a forum that you can post questions to and get answers from, you know, farmers all across the nation, and it's been great. You know, we had a question about sunflower production, and we're able to call another grower in Colorado that also sells to Whole Foods and ask him some questions about how his system is set up. Um, so that has been a great resource for us. So you're 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 selling to major venues. You're selling to Whole Foods. Um, how long are you telling your customers that your flowers can uh, stay on the shelves, or like how does that arrangement work? I know in produce sometimes growers are frustrated when their product is left too long on the shelf or badly managed. Do you have to like have legal agreements about that, or is it a relationship with the um, flower manager at the store, or like how does that kind of go down? Well, our flowers typically last about a week, um, sometimes longer. You know, if you recut the stems and change the water and take good care of them, then they'll last longer than that. Um, but for the most part, it's just really about educating the people who are in charge of the displays. Um, and the more that they know about your flowers and, you know, the more that you teach them, then the better that your display is going to look in the store. So we actually just recently had Whole Foods out to the farm to show them around, um, and it was nice for them to be able to kind of see what it takes from the flowers for the flowers to get from the field to the store. So we sell to them, and we also sell to some. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, we also we also sell to some local independent grocery stores around here. Um, and that has been another good outlet for us because they're locally owned independent grocery stores anyway, so they're, you know, excited to support local growers as well. And you haven't had any, you know, have you, have you had any, like, surprising, it was surprisingly hard to or it was surprisingly easy to moments in the last couple of years? Yes, and there's always challenges. You know, last year was really rainy, and this year has been has been really dry. Um, 
and florists have seemed to kind of be the difficult clientele to um, to show them that our product, you know, is of higher quality than the stuff that they can get in because sometimes they can get it shipped in for so cheap. Um, so really educating them has been surprisingly difficult um, to show them that there's a reason, like, why buying local is better. Um, so we have found some florists that are, are really good and they care about passing on the quality, you know, and if I say I have these really awesome tuberose today, then they'll take it. Um, but there have been, you know, there have been our share of florists that have just said no. And even if they see our product, they say they can get it cheaper from Ecuador. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know the system that they're buying into when they buy that cheap bouquet or when they buy those cheap flowers in. Um, so they're not really aware of where their flowers come from if they're not coming from someplace that's local. So that's been interesting, too, you know, for us to advocate for that um, and see how much, how little people actually know about where their flowers come from. Um, well, so this is a good opportunity, as any, to educate us within the young farmers community a little bit about the um, the flower industry. It's not something that I knew very much about until I went backpacking in Ecuador and ran into these huge greenhouses where they were growing these stems with literally five feet tall uh, stems. Okay, maybe not five feet, but almost. And yeah. uh, so, so in your education, you've had to learn, so maybe you could share a little with us some things that you know now about the uh, chemical use and the conditions of the production. Yeah, so, um, you know, our government actually subsidized a lot of these farms down around the equator as part of the war on drugs. So they wanted the farms to not be producing coca plants, so they gave them money to become flower farms and didn't realize, I guess, the effect that it was going to have on our domestic flower production. So um, a lot of the fight now is, you know, just to get people to buy domestic flowers. Like we um, want people to know that there are there are a lot less restrictions on the chemicals um, that they use there, and the workers' rights are not not the same as they are here, and they are getting better, but um, all the flowers that come in through Miami or wherever they're being imported to um, get fumigated when they get there to ensure that they're not bringing um, pests or diseases into the country. So not only are they being grown with chemicals that maybe wouldn't even fit our regulations here, then they're being fumigated when they come in. So that's why sometimes you'll see florists that wear gloves just because they're handling products that have lots of chemicals on them. Um, so here, you know, if you buy domestic flowers, then you know they're not being fumigated, and you're buying from someone who is sustainable like we are, then you know that they're not being produced with any chemicals either, so you can feel good about handling the flowers or letting your kids play with the flowers or anything like that. That was well said. And and the other thing, I, you know, I had a lady that I worked for, uh, she said, 
Oh, yeah, don't put those in the compost because those are, you know, somebody brought those to the farm and they're, they're, from, they're really gross. <laughs> and, like, I don't yeah. just want them in my compost. So. Yeah, and a lot of florists don't compost their waste for that reason because they don't want to put all those chemicals. But, so a lot of, you know, all of their scraps and everything just get thrown in the trash and become waste. Whereas here, because we don't use chemicals in our production, any of the stem that gets cut off when we make the bouquets goes into the compost pile and then, you know, ends up being incorporated back into the field again. So it's more of a complete system. Um, so any guidance or thoughts for those who might be following in your footsteps about getting involved in floral? Um, maybe even something I was thinking about was having spoken to other people doing local flowers is that it was a really good thing to start small with and as a complement to your growing of vegetables or other like easier to sell or easier to find market for and, and kind of build or grow into it. I don't know if that resonates with your experience, but uh, maybe you have some other ideas. Yeah, I mean, we we did start out about 50-50 vegetables and flowers and slowly worked our way into being more flowers. I do think that there is um, less competition with the flower growing, so there are less less flower farmers out there than there are vegetable farmers. So maybe that is, you know, maybe growing some vegetables and some flowers is a way to sort of help you find your niche um, and figure out what voids you can fill um, in your own local market. You know, for us that happened to be flowers just because there wasn't, uh, there weren't very many growers that were growing flowers. And then through markets we were seeing how much, joy flowers bring to people's lives, and then that's really what kind of fueled our fire and our decision to to continue on with just flowers. That sounds pretty great. I love yeah. flowers so much. And then the next thing, obviously, is getting to the point where people are interested in dried flowers again, because <laughs> it seems like so old-fashioned right now. But... uh Drying flowers is so fun, and drying flowers for tea, and drying flowers for decoration, and all those things. Anyway, yeah, and we uh, we have seen a, an upswing in the you know in the demand for dried flower stuff. So we have been doing more of that lately, and making dried flower wreaths, and we make um, herbal tea mixes, and I make soap and salve in the winter also. So that includes some of our dried flower products as well. So there is. It is becoming more popular than it was before. <laughs> well, I wish you all the best. It's really wonderful. Uh, if you haven't checked out their website, tell them your website, please. It's www.oursunnymeadows.com. So that's O-U-R, Sunny Meadows. Awesome. Well, thank you, Gretel. This is Severin. Thank you, everyone. A few announcements before we go. Uh... September is an insane month for events, and not only the events that we Greenhorns are involved in, but like every historic farm, teaching farm, nonprofit farm, conference center. I mean, it's like every single person is doing a harvest fair that exists in the world, and uh, in all likelihood, you're getting booked up 
if you're being invited to talk as a young farmer, then um, and they say that they don't have any money, see if they can barter you something. That's been re- lately very interesting. People are asking all the time if we'll do this or do that, and, and we've been learning to ask for in-kind support if there is no financial support. Um, and that makes it may make it easier to have the energy to show up for community events also and uh, teach the community organizers a little bit that they could expect some reciprocity within the farm community. The other thing is the events that are coming up here. So on the 15th of September is Our Goods uh, event in New York City in Union Square at the Farmer's Market. It's uh, an event in partnership with Green Market and uh a couple of greenhorns will be there. Uh, so if you wanted to connect with artists and farmers um, of the Hudson Valley, New York City, and Brooklyn kind of boroughs, that's a good place for that. Uh, and then in later September, there is the Maker Fair and uh, Common Ground Fair and Farm Aid. So those are all big events. Uh, Farm Aid's in Pennsylvania. Obviously, Willie Nelson is playing. Uh, the Common Ground Fair is huge country fair. I think there's like 30,000 people or something uh, for an, uh, almost 100% organic country fair in Unity, Maine. So that's not to be missed. And then the Maker Fair is in New York City again in Queens. And that is basically like hackers and robot makers and craft people and DIY Arduino programmer type people. And we're going to be there doing a presentation about farm hack and also demoing some uh, farm hack devices. So that's a little roundup. Um, please do check out our brand new website and the events page, which is very accurate going forward. We're working on updating all the past events. Uh, so stay tuned. Thank you, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.